Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to Psalm Psalm chapter 63. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you're using one of those, it's page 567. 567. I want to make sure everyone's got a copy of God's Word in front of them. And we're continuing through our series in Psalms for the summer. And... I hope this has continued to be uh, helpful to you as we seek to really understand the purposes and the character of God through every season. And there's consistency in that. We're going to be in Psalms all the way through the month of August. And uh, after that, we're going to be, Lord willing, we're going to be jumping into the book of First Peter in the fall. So just you can be looking forward to that as we talk about. Uh, living authentically for Christ as uh, exiles in this world. So, um, Psalm 63. And a question that I'm going to come back to um, at the end of our time today, but I want to give you up front because it sets the stage for this psalm. What keeps us from being satisfied in the Lord? What keeps us from being satisfied in the Lord? And in past weeks we've talked about what hinders us from praising the Lord. What hinders us from from glorifying Him and the responses of that. I appreciate the honesty in that because it's true. But what keeps us from being fully satisfied? In the Lord. And and the reality is, it's not hard, it doesn't take long for us to step back and go, I want a lot of things in this life. I, I yearn for a lot of things in this life. And yet, it's important that we take a step back and number one, recognize That all the things that I have sought to find my worth and my value in of this world have let me down. And we could have really honest conversations about that practically in every single one of your lives where you clung to something and it failed you and you were depleted and discouraged. And consistently we come back to this place here as a family where you hear us say often that we need to fix our eyes on who? Jesus, right? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and strive to become more and more like him. Uh, One of the very characteristic things of Christ that we see is that his 
mission was to do the will of him who sent him. And therefore, Christ himself was so fixated on who God was and was so satisfied in the Lord that all of these other things that are temptations and potential distractions uh, ended up taking the back burner. Whereas oftentimes in our lives, here's my concern. Uh, My concern is oftentimes it's the other way around for us, where all of these needs in our life take front and center and God and his place and his purposes take the back burner until we need something that we can't get for ourselves. And so I, I want you to wrestle with that today. What what keeps us from being completely satisfied uh, in the Lord? And as a main focal point in today's text, verse 3 is central to the rest of what the psalmist writes here when he says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And so if you walk away with nothing else today, I want you to hang on to verse 3 and the emphasis that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. And you might go, well, what difference does that make? What what change does that really bring about if we say the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life? Well, you're going to see in a season of intense trial where the psalmist David writes these words and in so doing exhorts and challenges us. To find our satisfaction completely in the Lord. Why? Because his steadfast love is better than life itself. And so my prayer, I want to, I want to, I want to read this and then I want to pray that we would be able to honestly evaluate where we find satisfaction, or maybe better yet, where we are searching for satisfaction. And that we would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be a people who can say, honestly, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. And so I want to start, and I'm going to read this, we're going to pray, and then I just want to give you a few focal points in this to help encourage us on this journey to seek satisfaction in the Lord alone. Okay. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. 
They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Father, today, may you open our eyes to the idols that we so often hold tight to. Lord, reveal in our hearts the things that we find satisfaction in that is not you. Lord, renew us. Give us eyes to see in the depths of our own lives. Lord, in the scope of your church, where we are prone to find our satisfaction in anything else but you and you alone. Lord, ultimately, it's a work of your spirit that has to transform us in this way. So we're asking you to do that work. Chisel away at our flesh that we might be more and more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, some of your Bibles may actually have a heading for this psalm. And most psalms actually have this, where it describes uh, who wrote it, or sometimes the context with which they wrote it. And in this case, it says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, this is important because it sets the tone For what is happening in David's life that he would write these words? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, why would he write these words? And we're really left, when we, when we look at what scripture records in the life of David, we're left with two specific instances that this could be. Number one would be in 1 Samuel 23, where David is running from Saul. Now, Don't get confused here, but there's two Saul's that are very primary in Scripture. There's a Saul of the Old Testament and there's a Saul of the New Testament. The Saul of the New Testament is most commonly referred to as Paul. And if you want to read his story, you should read Acts chapter 9. The Saul of the Old Testament, though, is in response to the nation of Israel who let out a cry and demanded that we want a king. We want a king to rule over us like all the other nations of the world. And even though God, God went, I am your king. You, you need to be satisfied with me. The nation of Israel was not content with that. And they cried out to the Lord and the Lord gave them their desire. And that here's this man named Saul. Put in place by the Lord. But who you see over the course of his life in first Samuel began pursuing his own kind of way of doing things, his own desires, instead of following after the Lord. Well, so then came along this boy named David, who was a shepherd and the youngest in his family, the most, from an outward perspective, the most unlikely of individuals to be king. And yet in God's sovereignty, just like you see throughout scripture, God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And so he appoints David as this individual. And you get this story of David and Goliath, which many people are familiar with. And David in that narrative is it's really less about David's conquering over Goliath and more about His faith that stood out amongst the rest of his people. Why? Because David simply trusted the Lord. Well, as David grew, he was very close friends with Jonathan, Saul's son. 
And as David grew more, David, God gave David great success in everything he did. And Saul looked upon this and became extremely jealous and ultimately violent to the point that he sought after David's life. And David, in the midst of Saul, pursuing after him, the king, imagine, the the king of the land goes on a wild manhunt after you as an individual. And therefore you're driven out of your home, away from everything you know, and are left to dwell out in the wilderness in caves running for your life. Okay? That's one of the circumstances. The second is very similar in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And in 2 Samuel chapter 15, you see David once again, now he has been established as king for many years, but his own son Absalom goes on this frenzy, conjures up a conspiracy to overthrow his own father, and ultimately drives his father out of the kingdom once again. And he's in the he's in the wilderness. And both places you see record of David being in the wilderness of provinces that are known as provinces in Judah. So if you if you want to look that up, make a note for Samuel twenty three fourteen, okay, and Second Samuel fifteen twenty eight. Use both of those references to David in the wilderness. Either way you swing it. We have David in this place of complete desolation, running for his life in both circumstances, away from anything and everything he has known. And in the midst of that, he writes this psalm. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. Where there is no water. Talk about practical application, right? And we can, we can speculate that maybe this was a day that was especially desolate. In the midst of this, the imagery that he paints here in the midst of the wilderness could have very well been practically what he was feeling in that time. Growing up, one of the uh, first jobs I was ever given on the farm. My grandpa, when I was about eight years old, started picking me up and taking me to the farm. And one of my first jobs was just walking around these pasture areas where we'd cleared trees and stuff and picking up sticks and throwing them into a burn pile. Now, this was not taking place in the fall or winter. This was like right now. Okay. And so you're walking around on dusty dirt, there's no moisture, and it's hot, and the heat is on you, and I'm going to tell you what, every day I loaded a gallon jug of water, because I knew in the heat of the day, when I was completely parched and had nothing else in me, I would... I, I mean, it wasn't even one that had a drinking spout on the top. It was like a cooler that had the button you push on the bottom. And I would lift that thing up above my head and just let the water pour over me. And the description is very similar to that. We, we can resonate with that in the heat of summer as someone who thirsts and faints is in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What level of seeking after and yearning does that portray. It brings a whole new level of insight into what it looks like to desire and seek after the Lord. 
And a, a challenging question in that is, do I, do we thirst for the Lord in that way? Do we, do we long for the Lord in that way? I'm going to tell you, when I'm thirsty, I'm thinking about one thing. I need a drink. If we find ourselves in the wilderness of day-to-day life, what are we more fixated on? The wilderness or the Lord? If we're honest, it's a lot easier to fixate on the wilderness, right? It's a lot easier for us to fix our eyes on everything else and lose sight of the Lord. And so there's a challenge here to, to honestly pray that we would be a people that could cry out to the Lord and say, God, I thirst for you. I faint for you as in a dry and weary land. I am parched because I just need your presence in my life. And I will not be satisfied until you fill that void. A void that only you can fill. Instead, we often try to quench our thirst with the things of this world. He goes on in verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. We could ask the question, at what times in your life have you seen the faithfulness of God at work? Where have you seen God work in ways that you go, I cannot deny the power of the Lord in this. We were talking in Sunday school class this morning about how God uses trials and suffering for his purposes. It's not an easy thing to talk about. It's not a fun thing to think about. It's a really, I would much rather be able to come to you and say, hey, if you just, if you just follow after the Lord, everything's going to be peachy for you. Everything's going to be great. And instead, we start a war when we seek to follow the Lord. We step onto the front lines of a battlefield that's been waging for for centuries. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world. It goes far beyond us. Do we stop to behold the power and glory of the Lord? And then we have this statement, which is at the heart of this. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Notice the motivation for David's praise to the Lord has nothing to do with his circumstances. His motive for praising the Lord has everything to do with who God is, not what he's going through. And in fact, if you want to dive even just a little bit deeper into that, the word for steadfast love there is the Hebrew word chesed. And it is a word that does our English language does not do justice. Because all in one, that word for translated steadfast love encompasses the loyal, gracious, merciful, forgiving character of God. All in one. And we see it elsewhere in uh, in, in Scripture, we see it in uh, Hosea chapter 6, where Hosea actually, in prophecy, identifies and goes, the love of man is like a mist. It's like the dew of the ground that's here for a little bit and then it's gone. Many of us could resonate with that. But that the Lord desires steadfast, chesed love, a lasting, loyal, unconditional love. That we see in God's character. One of the greatest examples of this type of 
love is actually the story of Ruth. And in the story of Ruth, here is this lady who loses her husband. Her husband dies and his brother, her husband's brother dies and her husband's father dies. Now, in Jewish culture, if your husband dies, then the person who is next in line to provide for your needs would have been any brothers that your husband had. And if they weren't around, then it was the, your husband's father. And so you have Ruth here in this moment who absolutely has no one except her sweet mother-in-law, Naomi. And Ruth resolves in and of God's leading in her. And, and she makes this statement that's become well-known. She says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now, how does that model this kind of steadfast love that the psalmist is writing about? Ruth had absolutely nothing to gain from Naomi. And that's why Naomi in that story even tells her, you need to go and find someone to provide for you. I can't do that. And yet it is the steadfast, loyal, unconditional love that drives Ruth to this place of saying, no, I'm with you. And it, Ruth's example in that describes exactly what the love of God looks like. And it's because of this unconditional, steadfast, faithful, loyal, forgiving love that the psalmist can identify and go, who you are, God, in this is better than life itself. It's more valuable than anything else I could have here. And because of this, I will praise you. What's our motivation for praising the Lord? I'm going to say that we, I'm, I'm included. And in all of these examples, I hope you know, I'm including myself. We are really prone to praise the Lord when things go well for us. And yet, what drives the psalmist in the midst of the wilderness to praise the Lord? It's the steadfast, faithful, loyal, unconditional love of God himself. So I will bless you, verse 4, as long as I live in your name, I will lift up my hands. Verse 5 goes to another tangible illustration for us, an image picture here. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Honestly, when I read this verse, I thought to myself, if I keep them here long enough, they will really understand this illustration. You ever get to that point where you're so hungry you can't even think about anything else? In our home, we turn hangry, every one of us. My wife, me, all three of my kids. If we haven't eaten, it just is not good. No one's happy. But think about that for a minute. In, in the desperate times of, of, of your greatest hunger... What do you long for? What do you think about? What becomes the primary focus? It's, it's food. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. When we choose to meditate on the Lord, 
we will be satisfied. The satisfaction here comes from remembering and meditating on what? On the Lord. Everyone say the Lord. It, it, it doesn't come from fixating on the circumstances of my life. And I keep coming back to that because I'm convinced that those items in our life right now are the greatest distraction to our unashamed worship before the Lord. Because we say, I will be satisfied by the Lord as long as I have this. I will be content in the Lord as long as these things are provided for. I will be satisfied as long as I have these people around me. And yet, it's when the psalmist remembers who the Lord is and meditates on him, even in the watches of the night, that his soul is satisfied as with fat and rich food. And he praises the Lord with joyful lips. How can you be joyful in the midst of the desert? How can you praise the Lord in the midst of the wilderness? You're thirsty and you're hungry and you're tired and you just want to go home. Because the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. It's so much better than life. Verse 7, for you, this once again reflects back. Just as, uh, just as verse just as verse 2 challenges us to think about who, who is the Lord. Verse 7 says, for you have been my help. That's past tense. In the past, you have helped me. I've seen you work. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. The circumstances of your life in the past are a testimony to God's faithfulness for eternity. Every season of life that you have walked through and the, you, you can look back and go, I see the Lord here. I've seen him work here. I've, I've seen him move here. I've seen him transform lives here. I've seen him transform me. I've seen him heal. I've seen him move. All of that. Ultimately, it's not about you. It's about him. All of that is a simple reminder that our God is faithful He has been faithful from the very beginning and has never faltered in his faithfulness. That's why the chesed, steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. It doesn't change. It doesn't shift. It's not like relationships that we experience here that have ups and downs. God is faithful. If we feel a gap in our relationship with the Lord, it's our fault. Because the Lord has made a way for us to be with him. Verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The the word clings there. Interesting. It's the exact same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2 to talk about the relationship a husband and wife should have. A man should leave his father and mother and cling to or hold fast to his wife. That's the same word. My soul clings to you. What do you think about? 
the imagery of that. And it's the right hand of the Lord that upholds me. Verses 9 through 11 go on to be more personal related to David's circumstances. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. It is God will bring justice. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Now, These last few verses make me lean way more towards that this is in the second Samuel uh, section of David's wilderness when Absalom is conspiring against him. Because the lies that were being told were stirring up a, a grouping of people and they were out to seek him so that Absalom could rule the throne and there was no contesting to it. And yet David depends not on his own strength here, but the powerful justice, faith, faithful hand of the Lord to redeem him and to save him. So I, I want to ask you this question. What keeps us back, What keeps us from being satisfied in the Lord? And as I was thinking about how I could how I could illustrate this. I brought this gift, gift bag. How many of you like to receive gifts? Put your hands up. How many of you like to give gifts? Yeah. When someone gives us a gift, are we more excited about the gift or the giver? I mean, if we're honest, we really want to know. I, I guarantee there's some of you sitting here that are going, I really want to know if there's actually a gift in this bag. <laughs> and there's not. It's just tissue paper, okay? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, do we want the gift more than we want the giver? Do we yearn for what God can give to us or do we yearn for God himself? You see, ultimately what this comes back to is that God has given us the greatest gift, which is life in Christ. He, he made a way for sinners like you and me. None of us are righteous. Therefore, none of us can stand before God. And yet God made a way by sending his son, who willingly, Jesus said, I, no one takes my life from me. Jesus said this, he said, I give it up willingly. So if you have any notion that God is this wicked, per, wicked being that sacrificed his son, it, Jesus willfully gave up his life for you. And he testified about that. Why? So that we could have life. And that's where Ephesians 2 reminds us, you're saved by grace through faith, and it is not of works so that no one could boast. It's a what? 
It's a gift. Here's the problem. You and I become really stuck on saying, God, I want all the gifts. I want all the things you can give me. I want the prosperity. I want the freedom. I want you fill in the blank. And in the process, we become so fixated on what God could give us that we stop fixing our eyes on God at all. And then when those things are taken away that we see as gifts, because James says every good and perfect gift comes from the father above. Okay, gifts are not bad things. But they can become that. And if we are more prone to fix our eyes on the gift than on the giver, then we've missed the point. The whole purpose of Christ as the gift was so that you could be with the giver. It's the whole point. And here's a hard truth. <laughs> if we don't want to be with the giver, then we really have not received the gift. Because the whole point is that not that this would drive us to some level of earthly benefit or prosperity, but that it would drive us to the Father. That we would, in so looking at this, see our own wickedness and our own separation from God and be driven to Him. And so what keeps us from being satisfied in the Lord? It's that we fix our eyes on the gifts rather than the giver. It really comes down to that. Now, the, the broader application question here is how do we become a people who delight ourselves in the Lord? Who are content in the Lord alone? And the honest answer to that is it takes heart transformation. Here's the other truth about that. Heart transformation is a work of the Spirit of God. It's not a work of man. Which means, if we want to be a people, untethered from this world, transformed by God, then we have to yield to who God is wanting us to be. Which means I have to stop fixing my eyes on all this other stuff and simply seek to know my creator. And in so knowing, the more you get to know who he is, the more you will find that his steadfast love is better than life itself. The things of this world pass away. The steadfast love of the Lord never fails. Over and over and over again. Everyone say, he is, he is faithful. May we live as if that's true. Father, as we take this and as we remember together, may we do so with humility, with honesty, and may we do so with a yearning to be satisfied in you alone. Thank you for providing a way for us to be with you.